up our Bibles, Revelation chapter 18. We're going to uh, take a shot at the whole chapter tonight. You remember last time we talked about the idea uh, that as we work our way through Scripture, Scripture teaches us a story of two cities. And when we look at the symbolism, we want to recognize that biblical symbolism should remain the same all the way through. So when we talk about Babylon, that is always a city in rebellion against God. Uh, going in the opposite direction that God would have you go. Jerusalem would be an example of those who are governed by God. Now, I'm not trying to say everybody who ever lived in Jerusalem had it perfect, right? We, we're aware. It's this symbolism. <clears throat> Two cities. Uh, the Bible talks about there going to be a new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, right? We're going to read about it. Revelation chapter uh, 21. And when we do... We're going to see that that's the perfect place, the place of absolute submission to her, her king. That city, that, that place has foundations. It's never going to go away. That God's people have always been looking for. So when God talks about rebellion, a rebellious system, a rebellious place, he talks about it in terms of Babylon. Also, one of the things we've seen as we worked our way through the book of Revelation is that God, when he views political systems, he sees those systems as beasts. If you remember when we went through the book of Daniel, in the beginning of the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision of a statue, right? And each one of the medals is a degrading medal. It's a medal less in value than the one previously. And until we come to legs of iron mixed with clay, or uh, with ten toes, right? Talking about ten nations and... The concept is it started here at the top and it just continues in a decline. Now God gives us his view. That's kind of the way man sees it. That's the way Nebuchadnezzar saw his kingdom. When God looks at it, he describes them as beasts. The fourth beast more terrible than all the ones who had come before it. So you have the same idea that the, that the political systems, the world, is in opposition to God. And that political system is viewed scripturally as a beast. Now we recognize that there will be a man in charge of the beast, right? We have a title for him. We call him Antichrist. But the beast is a system. It's that... A political system that would say, we will not have God rule over us. Last time we were introduced to a woman who rides the beast, right? The beast is a political system. The woman is a religious system. A religious system that has the ability to influence all the kingdoms of the earth. And so this religious system, and we shared last time, remember... I told you ever since the Reformation, everybody wants to point to the Catholic Church. The problem is the same atrocities that the Catholic Church has committed, the Protestant Church has committed. The problem is we forget that if we point our finger one way, there's usually several fingers pointing back, right? So the idea is in every religious system that is not submitted to God as king is false, And it can run by whatever title it wants to. It can have whatever sign on the door outside. It doesn't matter. If it's not submitted to the king, then it's just another part of the problem. Rebellion against God, right? I'm going to do this my way. It's my way. It's my show. It's it's about me. It's uh, man-centric. So the the idea is we want to be theocentric, God-centered. So we want God at the center So the woman who rides the beast is this false 
religious system that's going to be empowered. We, we recognize there was a, another beast, right, that came out that signified a false prophet that was going to be with the Antichrist. So you have this symbolism of religion in the hands of the political power of the day. Now we talked about, historically, this is not uncommon, right? All the way back, we go back into the world uh, kingdoms. We go all the way back to, to Egypt. What do we have? We have Pharaoh, who is God's representative on earth. You have a mixture of the worship of Ra and of Pharaoh brought together. You move forward to Rome. You have the same thing under Caesar. Right? It's not uncommon to see these two things working together. Working together even in the kingdoms of our world today. If we look into the Middle East, you have a political power and you also have a religious ideology. Right? False religious system working together hand in hand with a political system in rebellion against God or Islam and and any other uh, of the kingdoms in the Middle East that aren't submitted to God. So so when we look at Scripture this way, we need to see this is what we've been looking at. This is the battle. This has been the battle since the Tower of Babel. So it's been a long time, right? Been a long time. There's been a lot of kingdoms, a lot of opposition to God. God called out His own peculiar people, the nation of Israel. Uh, we see the nation of Israel struggling and falling and going into exile, right? Then we see Jesus Christ provide the answer. What man never had before was the power within him to be who God's calling him to be. Well, the power's not in us, but it is when the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, right? I can't do it of myself, but the Holy Spirit... He gives me what I need. He'll empower me to be or to do what Christ is asking me to do. So now the church is able to provide an example in the rebellion against God throughout the world of what it looks like to be submitted to God. Or at least that's what she should do. She should provide that picture so when we come to Revelation 18, we're going to see a little bit more on this idea. Let's read it together. In verse 1, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven." And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. And repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup that she has mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth 
who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold and silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kind of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood afar off. And they cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city uh, was like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying aloud. Alas, for that great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of a mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets, and of the saints, and of all who had been slain on the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we lift this time to you and we pray, Lord, that you give us eyes, God, to to search your scriptures, Lord, to allow the word of God to speak to our heart. Lord, we pray that the message that you have for us uh, this evening, God, would come through loud and clear. And Lord, that you would be glorified and that you would be magnified in this place. We lift this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we start verse 1 with a prediction of the fall of Babylon. Now keep in mind when we talk about Babylon, what are we talking about? A system in rebellion against God. The Bible calls it in the book of Revelation this, the earth dwellers. Now why does it use the term earth dwellers? Because the, the ones who are faithful to God are not earth dwellers. This is not our home. 
We're pilgrims, the Bible describes us, right? We're, we're pilgrims, aliens. We're strangers in a strange land looking for a coming city that hasn't come yet. But the earth dwellers, those for whom uh, this is everything, the earth is all of it. That is the group that has rejected Christ as Savior, and this is the group that are in rebellion against God. So we have this prediction of the fall of Babylon. Look, it says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Two words for the word another in Greek. Heteros and alos. Heteros is a, is a term that means another of a different kind. You'll be familiar with that word. We use it in English to speak of a heterosexual. Someone who is uh, who celebrates a relationship between a man and a woman. Not the same. Different. Heteros, another of a different kind. Here, the word for another is alos. This is another angel. One of the angels, the angels we've been discussing in chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, are the angels who poured out the bowls. Remember the bowls of wrath? The final judgment of God on the earth. So another of these angels comes down, and he has great authority. Now, where does that authority come from? Where does the authority that an angel has, where, where is it found? Where, where does he find that authority? From the Lord, right? The Lord is the one who gives authority. Jesus said, when he ascended, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority is that? It's all of it, right? All of it in heaven. That's all authority in heaven and all authority on earth given into the hands of Jesus Christ. So we see here, this angel again given great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. Look at verse 2. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. So the prediction and the fulfillment that there's finally, once and for all, the rebellion against God is going to be finished. Babylon will be put down. Now, we, we see these same terms used of Babylon in the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah when I believe that that, that occurred. Medo-Persians and the Greek empires came in. Really, today, nobody lives in Babylon. Right? The last guy who tried to build something there is not building anything anymore, right? Saddam Hussein was trying to relay the bricks in, in Babylon, and, and prophecy gurus look at it, and they listen to those ideas, and they think, oh, Babylon's being rebuilt, but nobody lives in Babylon. Nobody's there. It's, it is a ruin. But I think Revelation is saying, yeah, this is ultimate. What was done to the real Babylon in a physical sense is going to be done to the ultimate Babylon, or the idea of rebellion against God. It's going to be finished. It's going to be put down. And the result, what is the result of the fall? The result of the fall is she has become ultra-defiled. Is there any other foul beast he could describe Babylon as having? Demons, every foul spirit, unclean birds, and unclean beasts of every kind. So there's not another term that he could have used to describe the, the, the foulness of Babylon. The way God sees the city in rebellion against God. 
And this destruction, we can read about it in Isaiah chapter 13. You can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 51. In Isaiah 13, it says, In Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. Shepherds will not make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will be there, and their houses will be full of howling creatures. Their ostriches will dwell, and wild goats will dance, and hyenas will cry from its towers, and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close at hand, and its days will not be prolonged. What happened to physical, real Babylon is going to happen to, in the ultimate sense to a Christ-rejecting world. It will fall. It will go down. It is not going to, to successfully mount an assault against Jesus the Christ. We read it in the next chapter. Jesus comes back in chapter 19. Doesn't say he's all wore out from the battle. It's going to be quick. So rebellion against God will ultimately be judged and Babylon is going to fall. The earth dwellers are going to see all of these things come down. It's happened before. It will happen again. Where it happened in a physical city, it will happen in a Christ-rejecting world. With a system in rebellion against God, both religious and political. It's going to be put down. It says in Jeremiah 51, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your, your cause and take vengeance for you. I will dry up the sea, make her fountain dry. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, a haunt of jackals, a horror, a horror and a hissing without inhabitant. The same way God spoke about the Babylon that took the nation of Israel into captivity, the same judgment God brought upon the physical reality of the city of Babylon, He's going to bring against the illustration for which it stands. A world in rebellion against God. And just like the city of Babylon was put down, so will the Christ-rejecting world and the kingdom of God will rise. Think about Daniel chapter 2. Think about Daniel chapter 3. Remember the dream, Nebuchadnezzar. What happens at the feet of the statue? The stone, not cut out with hands, does what? Hits it. And what happens to the statue? It's gone. Poof. And then the stone grows into a mountain, becoming the kingdom of God. And it fills how much? The whole earth. The whole earth. God's kingdom is going to replace all the rebellious systems of mankind. And that's what we see taking place. That's what we see Scripture calling to. Look at uh, Revelation 18.3. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Now again, we're talking about the woman who rides the beast, the false religious system. That's what's in view in 17 and 18. And so what's the reason for her fall? Well, the reason for her fall is threefold. One, the extent of her influence. She has influenced how many nations? All nations. The whole world has been brought into that kind of thinking. The kind of thinking that puts itself in a position of rebellion against God. 
Well, that's, that's not hard to find. You want, you want to see what it looks like? We'll take a little drive to Tempe, Arizona. Take you one Saturday, 15 minutes. And I can show you a world system in utter rebellion against God. Not hard to find. And that's not, that's not, that's just being repeated all around our nation. And if it's happening all around our nation, do we think it's not happening in other nations? Now, it might be different, but that, that animosity toward our Creator, that's, that's not new. That's something that is everywhere. She, this false religious system that says, I don't want that God to rule over me. I'm going to make a God of my own image. I'm going to make a God that I like. I'm going to paint Him this way. I'm going to paint Him that way. And we can be tolerant of everyone's view because none of us really believe any of it anyway. And as soon as somebody actually believes what they say and they say something about it, we're intolerant of that. Because what we're really intolerant of is the truth. And Jesus Christ is the truth. What we're really intolerant of is the way. Jesus Christ is the way. What we're really intolerant of is life. Jesus Christ is the life. And you see that battle played out over and over again on the stage of this world. So her influence is all the nations. But not only all the nations, all the kings. All the rulers of the land in rebellion against God. All the rulers in the land falling prey, committing immorality with her. In other words, buying the lie. If you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, what are you going to read? You're going to read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that everyone who doesn't have a love of the truth is going to do what? Everyone, not most, everyone who doesn't have a love of the truth will believe the lie. What's another way of saying that? They had sexual immorality with her. What does God consider sexual immorality? Idolatry. Idolatry is sexual immorality. Idolatry is being unfaithful to a faithful God. They committed, they committed sexual immorality. Or in other words, they served another God. They worshipped another God. A God of their own making. It doesn't matter who it is or what title is on the door. If it's a God of their own making, it's not the God of the universe. Right? So they're going to, they're going to, all the kings of the earth are going to uh, follow her in this. What's the explanation of her seduction? Look how they describe it. Not only the extent, all the nations, all the kings, look at the explanation of it. They are what? How they describe them? They're drunk. Now, to think about it. How do we describe somebody who's drunk? A drunk person does things they might not normally do if they're in the right mind. Right? Right? If I'm drunk, well, I don't know. Maybe you guys are different. Whenever I was drunk in a past life, it was stupid hour. I did every stupid thing a person could do. Twice. Maybe three times. So what is it saying? These guys are all drunk. They're all drunk with her. What does that mean? They're all doing things that they wouldn't normally do because they have bought what? The lie. They've taken the lie. Hook, line, and sinker. They're believing it. They're accepting it. And they, if you repeat it enough, it must be true, right? If I just keep saying something over and over again, right? Doesn't it become true? Not if it's a lie. It's still a lie next time I say it. 
But we see that they've all become drunk. They're out of control. They'll do anything for her, for this system. They'll do anything. The next thing we see, not only that explanation that they're drunk, but they're also sexually immoral. In other words, they have taken her desire as their desire. Her desire is a false god. So they have taken that on. And the funny thing is, in this, in this final religious system, I don't know that it has to wear a cloak with one title. Because I see hundreds, thousands of people who, who will come and tell me, I, I, I believe in God, and then I'll start talking about God, and well, I don't believe in that God. All they're really saying is what? Can I make God in my own image, or do I accept, receive, and believe God as He has revealed Himself? How does it work? Do I just get to say, the, is, is somehow did the letters G-O-D become a proclamation of faith in another power, a, a superpower, an ultra power, a higher power, however you want to put it? Or when I say I believe in God, does it, does it matter how God has revealed Himself? Because if it doesn't make a difference, I can get along with everybody. I can be accepted in Islam. It won't be hard for me. Sometimes we wonder, how can these people just just believe all the stuff that, that they say? Or why does it look like they, they don't care about Sharia law? Why do they care? They don't believe in any God anyway. They just assume swear allegiance to Allah as anything else. It don't matter to them. It didn't mean nothing come out of their lips, and that was good enough for all the guys who were following Allah anyway. All you got to do is say the words. The system in rebellion against God, they are going to take her desire. Her desire, guys, the woman who rides a beast, her desire is for any God other than Yahweh. Any other God is okay. They're going to take that desire upon themselves. And what's the effect of that same seduction? Look what it says in the scripture. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich by the power of her luxurious living. Is that true? Do we see that in our world? Man, there's, there is definitely this concept of growing wealthy from the luxury of false Religion. False religion. All those things in opposition to God. So what happens? This is the proclamation. God says, I'm going to judge her. She's going down. She's going to fall in one day. Right? We, we read that several times. So what's the very next thing that happens in verse 4 and 5? God says to his people, do what? Get out. Right? Get out. Don't be with her. The Bible says it like this. Don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, right? What's, what's the point of that? What's the purpose of that? Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does fresh have with bitter? The idea is that there's, there's a, a point of distinction. There's a point of distinction. I'm not telling you to get out of the world and have nothing to do with unbelievers because... We currently are not in the fall of Babylon. <laughs> We're in the day of making disciples of every nation, right? Going forward and taking the message to anyone 
who will hear. Paul, Paul said, I don't call you to come out of the world. We can't do that. We live here. I'm just telling you not to be like the world. Don't follow those examples. Don't get caught up in those traps. Look at the plea, verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Get out. Now remember, remember this exact same thing happened in history already in a real physical place called Babylon. Israel goes into captivity. Ezra and Nehemiah come out of captivity, go back to the land of Israel, rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. But not all the Jews leave. Some of the Jews are saying, I like Babylon. It's good here. I got a nice house. I got a nice place. Everything's okay. Here's what God said in Jeremiah chapter 50. Flee from the midst of Babylon and go out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as male goats before the flock. For behold, I am stirring up and bringing against Babylon a gathering of great nations from the north. They shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be taken. Their arrows are as a skilled warrior who does not return empty-handed. Chaldea shall be plundered. All who plunder her will be sated, declares the Lord. What did God say to the people who stayed in Babylon? Get out. Get out. Judgment is coming. The judgment is going to fall on physical Babylon. The same way it did in the real city of Babylon. Now we come to the book of Revelation. It's written hundreds of years later. So we're not talking about the same city. We're looking at the illustration of a city that represents rebellion against God. A religious system that worships false gods. And what is it that God says? Get out of her. My people, get out of her. If you're not in a place that will teach through the word, hold fast to the word, the final arbiter of truth being the word, get out. Get out. Don't be caught in her. Don't be caught in a false religious system that makes God in uh, their own image. Jeremiah 51.45, he says, Go out of the midst of her, my people. Let everyone save his life from the fierce anger of the Lord. That really happened. The real Babylon fell, the real enemies came, and those who stayed in the city suffered just like the rest of the city did. God said to his people, Get out. In 1 Timothy 6.5, it says that there is a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. People that sell religion, that make religion, that, that, that try to paint it up in some kind of crazy ideal, but we're supposed to flee that. In 2 Timothy 3.5, it says they have an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such people. Come out of her. Stay out. Hold fast to the word of truth. Hold fast to the truth. And you won't believe the lie. Isn't that what 2 Thessalonians said? Those who did not have a love for the truth will believe the lie. Meaning, those who love the truth, they won't. Those who hold fast to the truth, they won't. So what's the payment that Babylon receives? Look at it in verse 6. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. So you have this golden rule coming home to root. 
to roost, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Only when God's golden rule, he says, if you, if you are unrepentant, I'll give you double what you gave others. What do we see here? Pay her back. Repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup. She is mixed. Just giving her back the same thing. The same things, the same attitudes, the same uh, um, actions that she poured out. God's going to pour out on her. What's he giving her? He's giving her an experience of mourning. Why? Because she said, I will never mourn. I'm never going to mourn. We never have to, we never have to mourn. It says, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow and mourning I shall never see. So God says, I'm going to give her mourning. How much mourning? Double. I'm going to give her double for what she gave out. I'm going to give her double the torment for what she gave out. And then it says in verse eight, for this reason, her plagues come in how long? Single day. One day, it's, it's just going to be done. That one day, in my opinion, that one day is that day Jesus puts his feet on the ground. Because it's done then. Rebellion's over. Babylon's judged. Babylon is judged. What's it say? For this reason, her plagues come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. Now the Bible tells us in John chapter 5 that all judgment has been committed to the Son. So who's the Lord God who judges her? God the Son. Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings judgment. He is the one who brings those plagues. And they'll come all in a single day. Now there's a great example of that in the original Babylon. When the original Babylon was judged by God, it fell in one day. You remember the story? Belshazzar is having a party. All of a sudden a hand appears and writes on the wall. You remember? Many, many tekel you farsin. And then he, nobody can tell him what it means. So they get Daniel. And Daniel comes in and says in Daniel 5 verse 26. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Because it's repeated, many, many, it means right now. It's over. God has numbered your kingdom, and it is finished. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found winning. For as your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel was clothed in purple and given a chain of gold around his neck. And a proclamation made about him. He should be a third ruler of a kingdom that no longer existed. Because it was already over. And that night, scripture says, it fell. One night. The History tells us that the people who lived in Babylon didn't even know they had been conquered for a couple days. They're just going about business as usual. But there's, all of a sudden there's new flags popping up. You know, the winged lion goes away, and now there seems to be more, more guys that look like Persians running around. Sure enough, in one day, the judgment came. Same way, one day. Jesus puts his feet on the earth, one day, done. God doesn't need seven years. He's going to finish it in a day. Jesus' feet hits, mighty is the Lord 
who judges her. So what people are affected, look at the next several verses, 9. And the, king of, and the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. So the kings are going to mourn. Now again, we're talking about Babylon, ultimately the destruction of the total system and rebellion against God, specifically the woman who rides the beast. She's put down. We see this rebellious system finished and put down. They will stand afar off in fear of her torment. And say, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. So the kings are affected. Who else? Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. So the merchants, the kings, the merchants are going to weep. They're not going to buy their cargo. Do you notice the list of the cargo? All kind of cargo. You got, you got precious things, gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, Purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and finally, the souls of men. So there's nothing the merchants of the earth don't sell. Surely that's not like that today, though, right? No, you couldn't say this about the merchants today. Oh, we don't really have a slave market, do we? <laughs> yeah, we do. Crazy, no? Once upon a time, you might have looked at this list and said, Oh, man, how are we ever going to get to that? Oh, we're there. This is how the merchants, they'll mourn and weep over the destruction of a rebellious system in rebellion against God. The kings will mourn over a rebellious system destroyed in rebellion against God. Who else? Who else? It says, And the uh, ship masters and the seafaring men and the sailors, all who trade by the sea, they're going to mourn. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid to waste. What's everybody weeping over? Go back and look over it. What are they all weeping over? Are they weeping over the destruction of life? No, because they could care less about life. They don't care about life. They worship death. What is it they mourn? Gold and silver, whatever is affecting their pocketbook, economy. If the economy's good, everybody's okay. Economy's bad, nobody's okay. They're losing money. And so they're mourning and they're weeping. I've lost our trade. What city was like the great city? They said in verse 18 and verse 19, they threw dust on their head and they wept and mourned and cried out, Alas, alas, the great city where all the ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she is laid to waste. So we see all these three groups, kings, merchants, Sea, uh, uh, shipmasters and sailors, all of them mourning over the money that can't be made anymore, the trade that can't happen anymore, the fact that this greatness is brought down. This greatness is great in their eyes only because it's in rebellion against God. And yet in the midst of all these things, they do not repent. They will not have the God who died for them, rule over them. 
So they mourn the destruction of a system. They're affected by the destruction of Babylon. And then you have, in opposition to that, they're mourning over what's been lost. Then you have the people in heaven. Look what it says. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. All those times God's people cried out for justice. All those times God's people cried out for God to do something about the sinful system, the concepts, all that stuff. There is a day. I love that Jeremy Camp song because there will be a day. Maybe it's not today, but there will be a day. God will judge it all. And so he says, rejoice, O heavens. Rejoice, because the end of the battle has come. Now, he didn't say rejoice over the destruction of the wicked. He doesn't say rejoice over the fact that sinners are about to be cast into hell. He doesn't say rejoice over that. He says rejoice over the fact that the battle is over. That it's done. When you were in, if you were in World War II out on the Pacific, on one of the islands, say, just finishing up at Okinawa and wondering about whether or not you're going to invade Japan. At the announcement after the dropping of the bombs that the war was over, you didn't rejoice over the hundreds of thousands of people who got baked in an instant. You rejoiced over what? The battle's over. The war's done. It's finished. It's finished. What a glorious statement. When Jesus read those or, or spoke those words from a cross, it, there's so much meaning wrapped up in that, isn't there? When he said it is finished, what does it mean? His suffering on the cross is over. It's over. It is finished means that our, our sins have been paid for, that the way has been paid, that men can walk in salvation. It's finished. The heavens will rejoice because it's over. It's done. There's nothing left now but for the return of the king. For the return of the king, the pronouncement of the fall of Babylon has been given. It says in verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea and said, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. So he gives an illustration, right? He throws a millstone. You guys ever seen a millstone? Big, giant chunk of stone that's round like a wheel with a little hole in it that goes around and crushes grain. And you and me, we're not picking one up. But the angel doesn't seem to have a hard time with it. He picks up a great millstone and he throws it in the sea and he says that's what God's going to do with the rebellion of man. It's going to be gone. It will end. The rebellion will not stay. So the, will Babylon be thrown down. Great violence, sudden outburst, and it will be found no more. And the sound of the harpists, the musicians, the flute players, trumpeters will be heard in you no more. What's the consequence? In the city of Babylon, there will be no more music, there will be no more manufacturing, and there will be no more marriage. Because the system's all coming down. All of that goes away. For the most part, I would say all of those things are gifts 
of God. What do you mean? Well, the Bible says every good thing comes from your Father in heaven. Every good thing. So being judged by God ultimately and finally means the end of every good thing. Oh no, these are mine. This is my gift. I, I developed this ability to play music. Really? You sure it wasn't the guy who made you? Oh no, this is my ability to build. This is the kingdom that I have built. That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. You remember what God said? Well, you're going to walk around crazy as a loon for seven years. And at the end of being crazy like a loon for seven years, I'll give you back the kingdom and you'll know who really holds the kingdom in his hand. There'll be no more marriage. Why? Who made marriage? God did. It doesn't belong to men. All those things are God's gifts. And the Bible tells us that the rain falls on who? The evil and the good. That means the blessings of God don't have a distinction. There are are general blessings of God that fall on mankind. Every good and perfect thing comes to you from your Father in heaven. And here you see the removal. All of those things will be gone. No craftsman will make a craft. He will be found in you no more. The sound of the mill will not be heard in you no more. The light of a lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Two reasons it lays out. Two causes for the, for the judgment. Sorcery and the slayings. Your sorcery, said they were all deceived by your sorcery. Just another way of saying your deception. Those who didn't have a love for the truth did what? They believed the lie. So the Bible describes it as their sorcery, their deception. They all fell. They all were in love with the deception. They knew it was deception. They still do that stuff today. There's lies they still tell. They know it's a lie. They know it's not true. They know it's not, and they still say it. Because they don't care that it's not true. They just like what it allows them to do. So they were in love with your sorcery. They were deceived. And and finally, in her was found the blood of the prophets, the blood of the saints, and then listen to this, the blood of the prophets and of the saints of all who had been slain on earth. All the prophets and all the saints ever killed are laid at the feet of Babylon, the city in rebellion against God. And in one day, God's going to judge it. And one day, it's all going to come down. And we get to read about that one day next week. Revelation chapter 19. The return of the king. That'll be a glorious day, amen? That'll be a glorious day. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, uh, we just come before you, God, and we... We thank you for the truth of your word, for what your word declares, for what your word describes. God, we, we thank you for the beauty and the majesty that we, we see. And we thank you, God, that 
Your illustrations stay the same all the way through Scripture. We don't have to be confused. Rebellion against God? It will be judged. And one day God will put it down. I thank you, Jesus, that today is a day of salvation. That now is the time by which men may call upon the name of our Savior. And that all who call upon your name will be saved. All who confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord. All who believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. According to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Will be saved. I thank you God that today as a church we are empowered by your Holy Spirit to make a difference in this world. Which is in rebellion against you. And which would number us as her enemies. But in reality we're the only friends she has. And I pray, Lord, we would be a true friend, willing to tell her what she needs to hear. That Jesus commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. That we don't have to be a part numbered with Babylon anymore. We can be numbered in the city of God. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven prepared for the bride. Prepared for those who swear allegiance to the king. God, I pray that you would work in our midst and through us that we might make a difference in this time and in this world as we look to you, God, to to empower us to be the men and women you're asking us to be, to take that message and that call. That whosoever will can be saved. And we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.